Amen. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Colossians. And we'll be reading Colossians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. So I invite you to join with me as I read the scriptures this morning. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord, as we reflect on your scriptures today, as we look at your word, we ask that you would speak clearly to each and every one of us. We ask that your word would be proclaimed through the words of my mouth. Lord, open up our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our understanding, our minds so that we can receive your word this morning. Help us to understand what it was the Apostle Paul was dealing with and help us to understand what that means for our lives today and how we can better be your people in this world. We thank you, we praise you. It's in your name we pray, amen. As we continue this study in Colossians, the sermon series of Enough is Enough, focusing on how Jesus truly is enough, I found myself feeling grateful. Now, as I've been reflecting this whole week on my, my final week here at John Knox Presbyterian Church, there's been a number of things that I know I've been grateful for and that I can be grateful for. But one of those things is that I, I get to preach my last sermon from the Apostle Paul. That I get to focus on Paul's words to the Colossians here and, and this passage. Paul can be difficult for people to identify with sometimes. I mean, first off, you have the fact that he lived 2,000 years ahead of us in a completely different culture that he spoke, wrote, and thought in a different language, probably a few different languages that we don't understand, that in many ways are, are lost to us now. He lived in a society that we can't really understand. We just have fragments from history and historical research that helps us recreate what his society might have been like. But there's so much that gets lost when somebody lived 2,000 years ahead of you. And it can make it difficult to identify with them. On top of that difficulty, the Apostle Paul, when you read his letters closely, he doesn't always seem like the easiest person to get along with. At times, he can be almost cantankerous. He has this biting sarcasm in certain letters. He, he borders on condescending in the letter to the Galatians. And maybe not even borders, he just embraces condescension when he's writing to the Galatians. When you read the book of Acts, you see that not everybody liked Paul. In fact, everybody outside of the church didn't like Paul. Inside the church, 
50-50, maybe 60-40 on a good day, but he has all sorts of arguments with other Christians. He's in all sorts of debates. He himself tells us in Galatians that he argued with Peter. Paul was very argumentative. Now, you may think that that's why I identify with Paul, because I can be argumentative also. But, and that's probably true, but there's something deeper about Paul. That when you really dig down into his personality, into his life, and really read his letters closely, one thing becomes very, very clear and apparent. Paul loved the church. I think more than anything else in his life, Paul loved the church. Paul gave his life for the church. He actually gave up everything he had for the church. We know from his own letters that the Apostle Paul was taught by a famous rabbi. He was a Pharisee. He calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, which was a sect of Judaism. And it was prestigious, and it was elite, and he was one of the best students. But Paul gave all that up when he understood who Jesus was. And instead of continuing in what he'd been trained in, Paul decides to spend his life going from town to town, community to community, city to city, throughout the Roman Empire, building churches, pulling people together, having communities together who are the church. He was beaten for this. He was stoned for this. He risked his life for this. And according to legend, he eventually gave his life for the church. Paul loved the church deeply and dearly. And I think for me, I hope that my love for the church would get to Paul's depth. I would hope that my own love for the church and all of our love for the church would reflect Paul's. And in that, I I can identify with Paul and see him as somebody that I hope to be like. Now, this morning is Reformation Sunday, as we've mentioned, where we set aside this Sunday to reflect on the Reformation, to to look at the Reformation. The Reformation is that uh, important historical event. In the 1500s, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of a church, and the the church was much more top-down in its structure than we see it today. But Martin Luther nails the 95 theses as as a challenge to reform the church, and it sets off this series of events where the church begins to fragment And all sorts of debate and controversy takes place. And the Reformation, it gives us a number of beautiful gifts. I stand before you as a Presbyterian pastor, so obviously I have been shaped by Reformed theology. The theology, the understanding of God, the way the scriptures are read from the Reformation, it's a beautiful way of looking at God and understanding God. I think that this theology, it helps us to see God's work in the word more clearly. And I'm grateful for that. As a Presbyterian, I'm grateful that the Reformation gave us a way of doing church that isn't top-down anymore. In the Presbyterian church, we divide power. We share power. One person doesn't have all the power so that nobody can harm or abuse other people with the power that we have in the church. And when we do actually follow our Presbyterian system well and, and take it seriously, checks and balances are in place, and I'm grateful for that legacy of the Reformation. So there are a number of beautiful gifts that the Reformation gives us, but there's another side to it as well. There's there's a tragedy with the Reformation. When you go back and look at 
what took place. I think one lesson that we can learn from the Reformation is that it can be very difficult to be the church. Church is hard at times. In the time of the Reformation, this debate, this controversy, too often it led to actual fighting amongst Christians. Politics became involved. Power struggles became involved. The theology was used to harm people. Christians actually had wars over communion, which makes no sense when you think about what communion is supposed to be. So when you look at the Reformation, part of its legacy is that we do have a more fragmented and divided church. And in today's world, we've inherited a divided church with all sorts of different denominations, some that come from the Reformation, some that come from other times the church has split. But when you look at the history of the church, you realize that church can be hard. It can be difficult to be part of the church. And I think in today's world, we see that also. We live in a really polarized nation right now politically, in the middle of a political season that has been difficult. Families find it difficult to talk to one another. Members of the churches who have known each other for decades find it difficult to talk with one another about important issues. And it's difficult to figure out in this setting, how do we actually be the church? How do we follow Jesus together? And how do we not just divide along political lines and separate amidst disagreement? Church can be and is difficult at times. So as we reflect on the Reformation, we have to acknowledge both the good and the bad of it. It was a great gift in many ways, but there's some difficulty there as well. But this makes me even more grateful that I get to reflect on Paul's letter today and that we get to together reflect on the letter to the Colossians today. Because when you look at Paul and you read his letters, you do realize, and you look at his life, you realize he loved the church. But more than anybody else, Paul understood that church is difficult, that church can be difficult, that being a member of this community, as Jesus calls us to be, it's not always easy. It's going to be difficult. Paul knew that better than any of us. Throughout his letters, Paul spends his time every once in a while, periodically, telling these new Christians what not to do. Setting out certain rules, certain prohibitions for them. Telling them, don't do these things. Now, any time that there's a rule or a law in the Bible... It's there because whatever it's telling you not to do, somebody was doing that. These rules are there because they needed to be there. They needed to be said. And in Colossians 3, we see how difficult church can be and and what Paul is working with. In verse 5, Paul begins with the letter to the Colossians in this section. He tells them to put to death fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And Paul ties greed with idolatry. Looking at that list, you might think one of those things doesn't really fit with the others. The, the first four, the, the fornication, the impurity, the passion, the evil desire, all of that is connected to what in Paul's day was sexual sin. It, it's clear that that's what that language is pointing to. But then he adds greed in there. But he connects greed to idolatry, and that connection to idolatry helps us to understand how these five things actually work together. Because in Paul's day, there was all of these idolatrous temples who took human beings 
and used them as objects and abused them and harmed those people for the sake of the greed of people who would come to those temples, the, the covetousness, the desire to harm other human beings was there. That was part of the system, part of the culture. It was normal in Paul's day. These were accepted practices, things that we would be shocked by. At least I hope we would be shocked by. But what is so striking to me is that Paul says to the people in the letter to the Colossians, you used to do these things. This is what you used to do, he says to them. You used to partake in all this. Now, if I were to start a church and be a church planner, I don't think I would start with people who were abusing other human beings, who were harming other human beings, who were from a system that thought that that was normal. That seems like it would be very, very difficult to work with that group of people to help them understand, to change their minds, to shift their understanding so that they learn to treat people as image of God. And the way God loves every human being, regardless of their status in society, that seems difficult to me. It seems hard, but that's what Paul has done here. That's what Paul does throughout his letters. He takes people who are used to horrible things and starts to transform them. It's difficult. It's hard. It's not going to be easy. And Paul has to tell them in this that they have to let go of all of that. It's going to be hard. Paul goes on to give them another list of things they have to let go of. He says anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, and he tells them not to lie to one another. And then again, Paul follows that up, telling them that that was the old things that you used to do. Think back to a time that we've all experienced at some point, where somebody said a harmful phrase to us, where somebody lied to us, where somebody acted out of anger or wrath towards us. And then imagine trying to start a church with people who feel like that way of talking to one another is normal. That that's just the way people communicate, that it's all okay. Paul's task here is difficult. Church is going to be messy. And he knows that. We oftentimes think that the the struggles that we deal with in our time and our generation, each generation seems to have this rhetoric that, our struggles are the greatest struggles. But really, the history of the church has been struggle and and difficulty. It's a part of being the church, of being human being, of embracing in this. And Paul knows this better than we do. And yet, Paul loves the church. So much so that he's willing to give his life up for this idea of church. And we could ask ourselves, why does Paul love the church so much? But that's actually not that difficult of an answer. Paul basically gives us the answer in verse 11 here. And in Colossians 3, verse 11, Paul says, In that renewal there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul casts this vision of the church here. Now, those terms, they may not be familiar to you. They may not be terms where you readily understand what Paul is saying there, but all of those terms are words that different groups of people would use to identify and to define other people that they disagreed with. 
these words that Paul uses here, saying that there's no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, those are all terms used to draw divisions, to categorize people as the people we disagree with, the people that we don't like. But Paul, in his vision of the church, says none of that matters anymore. Whatever terms the world uses to divide us in the church, that doesn't matter anymore. However the world defines you, whatever the world tells you you are outside of this community, here in the church, it doesn't matter anymore. That doesn't even exist. Whatever boundary lines we try to draw, whatever divisions we try to place, whatever walls we put up between each other, God doesn't care about that anymore. If God ever did care. But in Paul's vision in the church, those don't matter anymore. All of those terms. Instead, Paul understands Christ is all and Christ is in all. Inside the church, people who have come to follow Jesus, wherever they're coming from, whatever they're bringing to this community, Christ is all and Christ is in all. And that's really, I think, one of the most beautiful things about the church is that here we are defined by nothing else than how God views us and by the fact that Jesus is our Lord. Here in the church, that's what matters. That's what's important. And Paul is willing to give his life for this idea, for this vision of the church that he casts here, because he's seen God at work through the church. Paul experienced the redemption of the church, and Paul, who had spent his time beforehand persecuting Christians, taking their lives, we're told in the book of Acts, he stands over the death of Stephen, the first martyr in the church, approvingly. He's happy that this Christian is losing his life. That's who Paul was beforehand. That was what he was partaking in, which is horrible and tragic, but in the church, that is no longer who Paul is. He's experienced it firsthand. So he goes around helping others to experience that, inviting others into the church. And here in the letter to the Colossians, he's inviting people who were partaking in horrible practices, who were used to slandering one another and being anger and wrathful, and he's inviting them into the church. Though it's going to be difficult, though it's going to be hard, he's inviting them into church because he believes so much in this. My prayer for each and every one of us is that our love for the church would reflect Paul's love for the church. That we would know that the love and grace and redemption we've experienced through the church, we would know that that defines who we are, and we'd go and try to help other people define that. To find that love, that redemption through the church. For whatever reason, God has chosen to give people a glimpse of heaven through the church. This is God's plan. And as Gary Augen, the president of International Justice Mission, has said, the church is God's plan and God doesn't have a plan B. So I hope that we all love the church and embrace it. For the last four and a half years now, I've been able to be a part of the church here at John Knox Presbyterian Church. And here on this corner, we've sought to reveal God's grace. It's been a privilege and an honor for me to be a part of the church here. And this congregation, it, it looks different than when I started. 
Some of you who are here now watching, you were here when I started. You'd been here long before I started. Some of you have joined since I came here and don't remember when I first showed up here. And other people who were here have moved on for various reasons. But all the while, here on this corner, there's been people seeking to reveal God's grace. Coming together so that people in our community can, reveal, can see God's grace and have it revealed to them. And that's the beauty of the church, is that throughout our nation, throughout our world, people are coming together, knowing it's going to be hard, knowing it's going to be difficult, knowing there's a lot of challenges in the world. But this picture of church, this vision is worth it. It gives us a glimpse of heaven. It sustains our hope, and we can go and spread hope. So, uh, as I say goodbye to you all today, my prayer is for each and every one of us that our love for the church would reflect Paul's love for the church. That we'd recognize the work God is doing through the church. Come alongside it. And that you all would commit to this idea of church. To revealing God's grace. To letting people know who God's grace is through the church. Wherever you go, wherever you find yourselves, wherever God takes you, you'd commit to this church. To lifting up this vision of the church that Paul shares with us. In that renewal that is in the church, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. That is what you are invited to. And may the Holy Spirit sustain us and pull us together as the church. In the name of the 